0: Hanging half a hundred on them at Owen Field. Or the run rules on the Diamond at Love's Field. We're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast. With Tyler Burton and Adam Jaques. Let's, Let's go! Let's go!
1: Go! Go! go.
0: Let's go. Welcome to the Mainline Podcast, episode 150. He's Tyler Burton. I'm Adam Jacquez. Tyler, can you believe we're at 150 already? It's kind of crazy. It is kind of crazy, looking back to
2: kind of where this thing started, you know, going on four seasons of Oklahoma football on the Mainline Podcast, covering OU athletics. It's been a a fun journey. I think that um, I never really could have imagined, you know, when we started this thing out, um, you know, two guys sitting around a kitchen table talking to an iPhone in the middle of the table. Uh, That We would be here right now, but things have cranked back up and anytime that you get an opportunity to get together once, twice a week to talk some ball, uh, break down all things going on within OU
0: athletics, you absolutely can't beat it. Um, So here's to 150 more. Yeah, feels like we keep hitting all these milestones uh, here on the mainline podcast, but we haven't been suspended and we haven't been banned from anywhere yet. Maybe we can make that our next milestone.
2: Are we talking about suspension? Are we talking about bans? Are we talking about lies? Kind of like the scumbag that is out <laughs> west at the University of Southern California, uh, Lincoln Riley. I mean, I, I don't. I didn't even want to touch on this, and we're not going to go into it, you know, too deeply. But I mean, just talk about two, just a solid two week period where this guy just continues to, to, to just show his true colors. We talked about the interview that he did last week, you know, where he uh, talked about, you know, how Oklahoma fans were attempting to, you know, not attempting. OU fans were breaking into his house after he took the USC job. He was worried about he and his family's safety. There was, you know, it, it sounded like a, a scene out of a mafia movie. There was a black Escalade, you know, driving around, circling his property. And then you fast forward to this week, and it's just the exact same thing, like what we saw uh, during his time as the head coach of the University of Oklahoma with his poor relationship with the media. He suspends a first-year beat reporter for two weeks for a kid that wrote an article and briefly mentioned the fact that this, uh, that these two players were talking off camera about how to speak with the media. And here we go. Lincoln Riley throwing his weight around in that media market in the city of LA. You've already seen it, you know, it kind of blow up all over social media, the uh, fellow members of the USC beat that they're furious. I think that this is going to be, uh, if it's not already a national story, I think that you're going to see this kind of come to light here in the next 12 to 24 hours. But I mean, th- th- this guy just continues to find more and more ways to, I, I-, I-, I just think the scumbag is, is the absolute right word. I, I really hope that Oklahoma does fi- find a way to match up with this guy, uh, whether it's this year or next season while he's still at USC. Um, Cause I am so sick and tired of this guy. I feel like we Oklahoma fans done, did a pretty good job about, you know, forgetting about him Uh, over the last three to four months but he just continues to find ways uh, to put his name in the spotlight you know talking Oklahoma um, you know dissing the media so again uh, I'm going to be pulling for Colorado when USC comes up here to Boulder next week but I'm going to be pulling for Colorado that much more uh, because that piece of shit that is Lincoln Riley out there at the University of Southern (laughs) California so that's my soapbox I'm going to get off that let's talk some Cincinnati let's talk some Tulsa
0: let's do it Uh, No better way to start talking about Tulsa than looking back with our stock up, stock down uh, segment that's presented by CrimsonCaptain.com. Tyler, did you know that today, as we record September 19th, is Talk Like a Pirate Day? How appropriate is that? Had no idea. (laughs) Rest in peace, Mike Leach. (laughs) <laughs> well we're not going to embarrass ourselves and try to talk like pirates here uh maybe just a little bit we call it uh hoisting the jolly roger or walking the plank that's our stock up and stock down uh for the previous week i'll kick us off here with my stock up it's kind of hard to pick one from that tulsa game but i would say i'm gonna go with nick anderson and jane gibson those younger receivers because i saw something that i saw in that first game but i saw it repeated and that's something that. I really wanted to see. I think it bodes well for those guys contributing not only throughout the season, but at least putting some reps together that they can feel confident about coming back to Oklahoma again in 2024. Mm-hmm. Transfer portal, always top of mind there. So I love seeing that continued you know, just reps and more built up there from those young wide receivers. So uh, hoisting the Jolly Roger for those two. Yeah, I
2: think that's a great pick. I actually had that number one on my list as well. I'll go a different direction. But I think you make a really, really good point. You, you see what Jaden Gibson and what Nick Anderson did in the season opener against Arkansas State. Everybody was really, really excited. These guys, you know, as far as we know, they, it looks like they've taken the next step. Emma Jones has done a fantastic job with these guys. And then you go into week two and you watch this offensive game plan against SMU. And Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson aren't a factor at all. I don't. I don't even think they got the you know maybe less than a handful of targets. I know they, they they didn't have a reception. And then you fast forward to the Tulsa week, and Nick Anderson has his coming out party, and I know that Oklahoma fans are very very excited about the uh, the potential impact that he can have on the the remainder of this football season as it gets uh, you know gets underway with Big Twelve conference play up in Cincinnati this Saturday. Uh, but yeah, stock up for me. I'm going to go to the other side of the football. I'm going to go to the OU defense as a whole uh because of the turnover uh battle that that we won on saturday five interceptions the first time that an oklahoma defense has done that since 2003 and it wasn't just one guy getting in on the action it wasn't just a couple guys in the secondary no you had guys at all three levels of this brent venables defense gentry uh key lawrence trace ford kendall dolby uh danny stutzman uh danny boy taking a uh, interception all the way back to the house for a pick six so Uh, You're seeing Oklahoma's defense make those competitive plays on 50-50 balls, uh, and that's not something that we saw a year ago, and Brent's talked a lot about that over the last week. Um, And again, you just hope that that uh, that trend continues as Oklahoma heads up to Nippert Stadium this weekend to take on the Bearcats.
0: Absolutely, and I think Gentry Williams is the biggest example of that. Like Just having your head turned around, Mm -hmm. no flag comes out at that point, point. he makes the interception. There's, there's contact on that play. Sure, like You could very easily call pass interference on that if he's not looking for the ball there. Huge difference, uh-huh. obviously. It swung the game there right from the start, so you'd love to see that. On the downside, our kind of stock down uh, segment here that uh, we call walking the plank in honor of Crimson Captain, I'm going to go with... I, I think there's some really low-hanging fruit on the offensive side of the ball. So I, I thought, you know what? I'll mix it up. I'll go to the defensive side of the ball. Rondell Bothroyd. He's been good in run support he has not yet had a sack or a tackle for loss. And I wanted to look back and see how frequent was that in his career over the past two seasons at Wake Forest. He never went more than I think a game or two games without either a sack or a tackle for loss. He's done that three straight games at OU. So it's his longest stretch in the last three years here. And maybe it's Brent Benneville's defense. Maybe it's not getting enough playing time. I don't know what it is exactly, but we haven't seen him make that impact play just yet. And he's been playing the three easiest teams that we, we may see all year, potentially. Sure. So that's concerning. I'm walking the plank on him for right now, um, but I hope I'm reversing course here a week from now because we definitely talked all offseason about how vital he was and how he was going to really help this defense. And I think he has to some level. I think he's he's pressured the quarterback, but... Mm-hmm we haven't seen that one play that we can point to just yet.
2: Well, and I think that that's a consistent theme both on the offensive line and the defensive line. When you talk about the lack of domination, whether it's Oklahoma in the run blocking or it's the defensive line, you know, getting after the passer, um, you you almost kind of wonder, is that just kind of, you know what this team is uh, for, for team One Twenty Nine, or do we think that it could be a situation where, yes, they're going to improve over the course of the regular season. You hope that they peak by that first, uh, that second week in October. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, you really almost kind of have to wonder how vanilla are they being, both in their stunts, both in their protections, both in their blocking schemes. And I think that we're really going to get a much better taste, uh, get a much better sense of what this uh, this defensive line, particularly Rondell Bothroyd, is going to be this upcoming weekend. Because, again, I know, that Tulsa, or I know that Cincinnati lost to Miami of Ohio in overtime over the weekend. We'll touch on them here in just a little bit. It's a much better football team that Oklahoma was going to face on Saturday compared to what was put on tape against Miami of Ohio just a few days ago. But stock down for me, I, I, I guess you went defense. I'm going to go on the offensive side of the football. This is kind of something that's been, you know, my really stock down for the last couple of weeks. It's the Jackhammer package. It's when, Jack, it's when short yardage plays, they trot Jackson Arnold out there. And this isn't pointed at Jackson Arnold whatsoever. This is pointed mostly in the direction of Jeff Levy. And I tweeted this out during the game on Saturday. You've got the ball on the two yard line. You're the University of Oklahoma lining up against Tulsa. You're on the two yard line. You've got Tawi Walker on your roster. Run the damn football. Don't try to get too cute. Don't try to, you know, get Jack, Jackson any type of statistics or anything like that. That was really my main, you know, point. Uh, that was really my main negative that I took away from that game on Saturday was it almost kind of feels like instead of just lining up and saying, my guys are better than your guys, we try to get a little bit too cute. We try to pull a trick out of our bag. And that's just something that has not worked over the first three games of the season. So, um, we'll see what Jeff Levy likes to do. Um, This upcoming weekend, outside of that, I thought that his game plan was phenomenal against Tulsa. I liked the aggressiveness. I liked the score from far, taking shots down the field, allowing Dylan Gabriel to, you know, kind of push some of those barriers and, you know, give his uh, receivers an opportunity to make some plays uh, in competitive situations. And that's something that for, I think, this Oklahoma offense to get to where they want to go. That's something that's got to continue. That's a trend that, you know, we've got to keep going in that direction. But, yeah, get rid of the jackhammer package. He's not Blake Bell. Let the kid do what he does, and that is be a five-star quarterback. We saw how good Jackson Arnold can be when he gets to run his offense. If anybody has any questions about that, go look at the touchdown pass that he threw to Nick Anderson where Nick's running full speed, never breaks stride uh, for one second. It was that perfectly of a thrown football. Uh, But, yeah, get rid of the jackhammer package. Um, I'm, I'm not about it.
0: I keep looking down at my phone. I'm distracted by our sponsor, crimsoncaptain.com. So thanks so much, (laughs) uh, Captain, for, uh, for sponsoring this segment and the podcast. And the reason I was looking down on my phone is because he just released some team notes uh, this week. So he, he's got a lot of interesting tidbits that he's thrown out there on the website, both on recruits. I think he had one, a note earlier this morning on Grant Bricks. He had a, a, a team notes that just came out with some injury updates there. So stuff that I'm not really seeing on other sites uh, that uh, are out there or on Twitter or anything like that. So mm-hmm. some pretty good info there uh, just with the insider notes. Also some really great film breakdowns there as well. Absolutely. And uh, the Discord. Discord access, which we are huge fans of, so make sure you're checking out CrimsonCaptain.com. He's linked in the show notes, uh, and you guys will not be disappointed there. Let's go ahead and chat about the Cincinnati game. We're gonna have an interview here in uh, a little bit on the podcast. Uh, it won't won't air on YouTube, but it'll be on the podcast format. And uh, we had uh, Brandon from Go Bearcats on that gave us a little bit of insight on uh, the Bearcats there. But Tyler, before we jump to that, I want to hear what are your keys to the game versus Cincinnati.
2: Well, just starting on the offensive side of the football, I mean, when Oklahoma is on the field, I think that this is probably the one area of the game, and as well as Oklahoma's defense has played over the first three weeks of the season, it's what Oklahoma does extremely well and extremely efficient on the offensive side of the football that I think is poise give Oklahoma some success on Saturday, and that is Dylan Gabriel and these Oklahoma receivers. If you go back, you watch the Cincinnati uh, tape over the first three weeks of the season against Eastern Kentucky, Pittsburgh, and Miami of Ohio, the one common factor with Cincinnati's defense is the lack of production and really those three teams being able to pick on those guys uh, on the back end of that defense. This is a, this is a secondary that um, doesn't, doesn't do a lot of things from a schematic standpoint that's going to confuse Dylan Gabriel on Saturday. They really bank on the fact that they've got two NFL defensive tackles on that roster to to try to hide a few of those deficiencies. And, you know, we saw it over the course of the last couple of weeks, Pittsburgh took advantage of it. Miami of Ohio took advantage of it. I think that Dylan Gabriel, if he can continue to play like he did against Arkansas state and even more so like he did against Tulsa, he's going to light Cincinnati up on Saturday because the one thing that Oklahoma's offensive line, and we can touch on the running game here in just a minute The one thing that Bill Beatonbow's group has done extremely well is keep Dylan Gabriel upright and protect the quarterback. If they can give Dylan time to throw on Saturday, name your score for for what this Oklahoma offense can put up. So Dylan Gabriel's ability to throw the ball downfield, we see these receivers, Farouk's lighting it up. Uh, Andre Anthony's been great for the first three weeks. We're seeing more and more uh, from Jaden Gibson, Nick Anderson, Drake Stoops. The dude just makes plays. He's Mr. Consistency. Uh, We'd like to see a little bit more out of Gavin Freeman. Uh, but ultimately, you know, his time's going to come over the course of this regular season. But yeah, throw the ball down the field. The Cincinnati uh, secondary um, is
0: no matchup for the weapons that Oklahoma has out on the perimeter. What a reverse of what we were talking about all summer of basically, yeah. hey, let's not not throw the ball too much. Let's lean on this running game. We know it's going to be elite. And so far, like just not at all. Complete opposite there. And I, I'm in agreement with you there. Shame on me for not knowing Blaine Gabbert's uh, brother's name and calling him <laughs> Blaine Gabbert's brother. Uh, but he was a Miami of Ohio's quarterback, and you know there was pressure up the middle, but that Redhawks offensive line was able to at least hold it off enough for him to really pick apart that Bearcats defense, um, not just through the air but scrambling as well. And I think we'll see some of that. We haven't really seen Gabriel unleash and have to run it so far mm-hmm. because our offensive line has been just immaculate in pass protection for the most part, other than that one. Yeah. Savion bird, just, you know, brain fart uh, of a play <laughs> against SMU, but uh, I guess not even a brain fart, just an effort, yeah. uh lack of effort there. But otherwise, you know, Dylan Gabriel really hasn't had to scramble. I think we'll start to see some of that. And I think he's faster than any of the quarterbacks that Cincinnati has played so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil Jerkovic out of Pittsburgh, really has regressed since he's gone to yes. uh, the Panthers there. So he's not he's not a scrambler at all. He's, he's pretty much a statue back there mm-hmm. in the pocket. So I'm excited to see what Dylan Gabriel is able to do, and if he's able to continue to push the ball down the field and play pretty mistake-free, like almost no turnovers, almost no com- uh, incompletions either. So I agree with you there. For
2: anybody that wants to go back or has already watched the Miami of Ohio film against Cincinnati – First play of the game for for Gabbert was a 79-yard touchdown pass on that Cincinnati secondary. So uh, th- there are plays to be made out there. I'm very interested to see what Jeff Lebby tries to do uh, to attack this Cincinnati defense like we talked about, Adam. If there's one thing on Oklahoma's offense that does give me a little bit of cause for concern, it is our offensive line performance. I know that we've been really, really good in pass protection, one of the best in the, in the country uh, in terms of keeping Dylan Gabriel upright, but – For Oklahoma, I think to be as effective offensively as we want to be, especially going up against some of these teams are going to have much better competition, a higher, you know, higher brand of athletes across the board. You've got to be able to run the football effectively. You've got to be able to pick up those third and shorts, those fourth and runs um,
0: for Oklahoma to get to where they want to go. And well, Tyler, I mean, let me ask you this, because we saw 12 running back carries in the first half against Tulsa last week, mm-hmm. and we really didn't see a significant uptick in the second half either. You thought that would have been the game to work on it, just make it work, like, you know, continue to run the ball until it works. We saw a couple of games, I think, where, um, you know, Javante Barnes maybe went mm-hmm. off for 15 yards once or twice, but that was about it. And so it just makes me wonder, like, why didn't we work on that? Because it's not going to get easier against Cincinnati. It's yeah. probably... In my opinion, I think we're not going to be able to run the ball against this this interior defensive line. It may be the best defensive line we see all year, but mm-hmm. you're going into Nippert, you know that hostile environment, and you really haven't worked at your running game whatsoever. And so, the way I see this game playing out is probably Jeff Levy's going to try it a few times. It's not going to work. He's basically going to pass uh-huh. the rest of the game. And I that's uh-huh. kind of that's kind of a scary proposition. I know Dylan Gabriel's been playing good, but yeah. I don't want to play without a running game.
2: No, absolutely. And I think that this is the weekend that you really find out what Oklahoma's offensive line is made of. You know, we, we always talk about how Oklahoma, you've got to figure things out by Texas. Bill Beanbow always seems to figure out, you know, his starting five had that rotation of six to seven guys. That way, once you get to the cotton bowl, you're firing on all cylinders most of the time. And, Cincinnati's defensive line, led by Dante Corleone, who's going to be an NFL, probably a day, late day one, maybe even a day two type guy. Eric Phillips out there at the defensive end to go along with Juwan Briggs. They've actually got two defensive tackles that are that are going to be wearing single digit numbers. Uh, that's a lot of fun, it's something to be watching for on Saturday. But Cincinnati's defensive line, outside of Texas, is the best. Talent wise, that Oklahoma is going to play against all year long. I, I fully believe that. You dodge Kansas State, you dodge Baylor, which Baylor's. You know, we can we could touch on that at a different time. What's going on down there? We can also th- sprinkle in a little bit of Oklahoma State and the fine people down in Stillwater, how things are going for Mike Gundy and that fan base right now. But yeah, you've got to, you've got to figure out a way to run the football on Saturday, Oklahoma against Tulsa. I think Brent Venables and Jeff Lebby said that they play ten different guys. On the offensive line. Some of that had to do with the score being out of hand. Uh, some of it had to do with, you know, a couple guys getting banged up. I'm not sure if we're going to get a chance to see Savion Bird this upcoming weekend. You need a guy like that with that type of ceiling, uh, with that size and stature and that, you know, type of athleticism against a strong defensive front that Cincinnati is going to bring to the table. But I think you're going to see not just Troy Everett inside at the left guard position, but from everything that's being talked about, you might be seeing Caden Green possibly even start at the left guard position. And what uh, what better way to get your first start as a true freshman at the University of Oklahoma going against a couple of uh, you know NFL-type guys uh, that Cincinnati's got? But, yeah, I, I don't think that this will be the game that if Oklahoma can't run the football consistently that it's going to come back to Biden because this Cincinnati secondary, who, again, they're going to probably play their best game of the year on Saturday. This always happens when Oklahoma comes to town. But I think that Dylan Gabriel and this Oklahoma receiving core – has what it takes to be able to take the pressure off of that running game and still put up a a large amount of points.
0: Yeah. Let's hope that we figure that out because at some point it will come back to bite you. Are you more worried? Are you more worried about Oklahoma's offensive line or Oklahoma's running backs?
2: Because we still, mm. through three games, Tawi Walker has been the best guy, the most consistent guy, and he didn't even get a carry against Tulsa, but we still haven't had a running back that's been able to break one uh, you know, for a long game down the field.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if that was kind of like, hey, you get you get a, a day off, Tawi, for what you did against SMU, like, we'll need you to stay fresh, we want to get some of these other guys more yeah. opportunities, but then you gave Barnes a lot of opportunities. You really didn't give Solchuk very much opportunity and maybe Mm -hmm. he's still hurt, but like, why are you playing him? If he's still hurt, like let's Mm -hmm. wait until he's, he's healthy at that point. Sure. And honestly, like Barnes looks slow. Um, He doesn't look like he has that quickness that you need. Uh, He's not really running through guys necessarily all that much. He looks slower
2: than he did a year ago.
0: Yeah. So I thought Solchuk was going to be that guy. We haven't seen enough carries from him really Mm -hmm. to say for sure. Dalen Smothers looks like he has the most twitch out of that backfield. I'd Hands love to down. see some more of him. Hands down. But but that's a tough that's a tough ask for a true freshman to come in and do pass protection. Sure. So but like that would've been the game. Mm-hmm. Like Tulsa would have been the game to get him a lot of carries and see if you had something there and I, I don't know. So well, when, I'm worried about the running backs. Yeah, right I am line. too. And again, I think that we're going to get a lot more answers this upcoming
2: weekend compared to what we've got through the first three weeks of this regular season. I do want to let OU fans know one stat to keep in mind going into this upcoming game. Cincinnati's strength of their football team is their defensive line. No doubt about it. We can touch on Emory Jones and, you know, kind of the how he's elevated that Cincinnati offense over the course of the first three weeks. But Cincinnati's defensive line is currently ranked second in the Big 12 in sacks they've got 10 on the year so far um, so if Oklahoma is gonna have some success on saturday you've got to hold up in pass protection give dylan gabriel time uh, to find nick anderson Jalil farouk andre anthony down the field
0: um, if they can do that i like oklahoma's changes on saturday offensively and you know they're gonna be watching the smu tape and trying to replicate some of that where sure. you know rush three because they can and they have good defenders there mm-hmm. and drop all the rest of their guys and we saw something different against tulsa it was more like Rhythm, rhythm, deep shot, rhythm, rhythm, deep shot. Like we saw that a lot with Drake Stoops, a lot more involved, a lot more wide receiver screens, the shorter passes that then worked up to something bigger. And that's what this offense needs to be versus SMU. We got away from that. It was constantly looking down Mm -hmm. the field, looking down the field, looking down the field uh, versus just using the extension of the run game. That are those wide receivers. Well,
2: and also something too, that Oklahoma didn't do against Arkansas state. They didn't do it hardly at all. If any against Tulsa, they didn't run any twelve personnel. You didn't see too many two tight end sets, and that's been something that Oklahoma has don't really have two tight ends. <laughs> well, I, I don't. I'm not sure if you have one. I mean, no, no disrespect to the two guys that are on campus. I mean, they're obviously out there blocking their butts off. But in terms of a, uh, you know, a pass catcher being a real threat down the field. I'm sorry, but we don't have one on the roster right now. So utilize your playmakers. Get your best athletes on the field, whether that's going four wide, going five wide. Give those guys opportunities in one-on-one matchups to make some plays uh, against some of those defensive backs. And I think that if Oklahoma can do that, if Jeff Levy can keep that same mindset, you know, continue that aggressive game plan on Saturday, Oklahoma is going to find some success through the air against Cincinnati.
0: Awesome. Any other keys to the game you want to run through?
2: Let's switch over uh, defensively. Um, do we want to talk mobile quarterback versus Oklahoma defense? I kind of feel like we should because
0: that's yeah. it's almost it's almost like it's always. I, I think that's every defense struggles with a mobile quarterback. Like nobody defends a mobile quarterback well. It's just that you know it happens to everybody. But Emory Jones is a capable runner. We saw that uh,
2: when he was at Florida. Well, we saw that a week ago. He went for over 100 yards against Miami, Miami of Ohio and had a touchdown through the day. I mean, when when you look at what's been Oklahoma's kryptonite defensively over the better part of the last 10 to 20 years, it has been the mobile quarterback, a guy that can break containment, can get get outside the pocket, extend plays with his legs. Um, you know, whether it's turning it upfield for a positive game or buying time for him to find somebody that gets open down the field, Oklahoma struggled with that. Um, and I, I'm not sure by by any means do I think that Emory Jones is is a is a world beater. He's not you know going to be in contention for an all conference type team. But I do think that he has the ability, and he's played a lot of football uh, going you know being in his sixth year to where he can hurt you if Oklahoma uh, loses containment if they're not assignment sound and you know if they lose track of uh, you know what they're doing rushing up the field too far and giving him lanes to you know scramble outside of the pocket. But for me, this game, it's a line of scrimmage game. And for me, Oklahoma's defense on Saturday, if you can do one thing, you will shut Cincinnati down on Saturday because Cincinnati's rushing attack. They're averaging 240 yards a game rushing, led by a star running back that is uh, – it was a junior, uh, number 21, Corey Kiner nine, two 215 pounds. Not super speedy, but he does have the ability to make you miss uh, in between the tackles. He's a really tough guy to bring down. If Oklahoma can contain Emory Jones and can bottle up the Cincinnati rushing attack, it's going to be a nice day for Oklahoma on Saturday. Easier said than done. You're going into a hostile environment. This is probably one of the biggest games that's ever happened inside that stadium. Fox big new kickoff. Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt going to be on the call. Um, Take care of the football, stop the running game, and be clean. And I think that Oklahoma is going to have success on Saturday.
0: I think the return of Desaun McCullough, which a lot of us are expecting to see will help a lot. I mm-hmm. we really haven't seen much. He got injured pretty early against Arkansas state, but he's a, a vital piece. I think he's a guy that could match up potentially well later on down the road with uh, Jatavian Sanders, the tight end from Texas. So mm-hmm. you want to get him some reps, get him some experience out there. And with no Justin Harrington for the foreseeable future, he's the guy at this point. I think you need him, especially because that allows Peyton Bowen to go back into that safety position and probably take some reps away from Reggie Pearson. Um, he's a guy that got burned pretty bad on the uh, double move there in the end Yeah. And, and that's what we signed up for. Like we knew what Reggie was when he came from Texas tech and Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we knew he was going to be good and run support, but, Sometimes a little shaky in pass coverage, so yeah, um, and, we knew that's what we were getting. Well, out.
2: and you want to give Peyton Bowen, and you even want to give Reggie Pierce. I mean, one game does not define who you are. He had a couple of really bad plays. Get even give him an opportunity on Saturday to get back out there and rectify those mistakes. But I, I think that Oklahoma, Brandon Hall, Jay Veli are really going to utilize these next two weeks against Cincinnati, against Iowa State, to kind of really hone in on who those five and six man rotations are going to be throughout the course of the secondary because. October seventh, Xavier Worthy, Ad Mitchell, Jadavian Sanders, you know Jordan Whittington, the playmakers. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the best group that Oklahoma's going to face uh, uh, over the course of this season. And you've got to have everything ironed out in the secondary. Everybody's got to be comfortable and confident in what they're doing uh, because that game's going to be coming up here pretty fast. You don't want to overlook these next two opponents, of course, but use these next two opponents. You know, kick their ass, but also give yourself an opportunity to gain some confidence and be very very comfortable going into the cotton bowl that way you can play you know not just not just play hard but you can play fast uh, because
0: you're not thinking you're just going out there and executing the calls that the coaches are making yeah i think we'll know a lot more about this defense after this game because emory jones is the kind of quarterback that he'll get you at least once he'll get you somewhere in some way throughout the game and we'll get to see does that kind of unravel this defense or do Mm -hmm. they they buckle down and say Mm -hmm. no more not again like Fool me twice, shame on me.
2: Last two things for me, Adam on Cincinnati. Then, we'll, then we'll move on to the interview with Brandon here. But for for all the Oklahoma fans that are out there on social media, you know, calling into the radio, different things like that, that are super confident in Oklahoma winning this game by you know two three touchdowns and again if Oklahoma plays as well as they have the first three weeks of the season yes that is a highly possible outcome but you look at what the outcome against Miami of Ohio a week ago where they did suffer their first loss of the game kind of took some of this uh you know took some of the uh the the aura uh, of possibly having you know two undefeated teams in Cincinnati's first big 12 conference game Cincinnati outgained Miami Miami of Ohio by 200 yards and they controlled the time of possession 36 and a half minutes to 23 so And also, by the way, and we'll get to this part with Brandon, they also had nine to ten trips into the red zone. They only scored two touchdowns. So a little bit of a look-ahead type situation for Cincinnati, I think they experienced on Saturday. But this is a much better football team than what we saw a week ago from the Bearcats. and. I think the thing that excites me the most about this game and something that I think that is going to paint us a much clearer picture of what this Oklahoma football team is coming out, of, uh, coming out of Cincinnati on Saturday afternoon, you're going to get good on good on both sides of the football. You're going to have Oklahoma's defensive line who's been outstanding at stopping the running game, going up against the Cincinnati rushing attack that's second in the conference right now. And then you flip it over to the other side, Oklahoma in pass protection going against going up against that Cincinnati defensive line led by Dante Corleone. It's going to be a really
0: good matchup in the trenches on Saturday uh, for both sides of the football. Absolutely, I love those keys to the game. Well, let's get to our interview with Brandon from uh, Go Beer Cats from. Uh, Cat Skeller Social Club. Uh, We'll let him kick it off first. He uh, made a nice little invite to the tailgate that they uh, have there called The Den. So he'll go through that and then we'll get to the interview uh, with Brandon.
1: But if you're looking for a place to tailgate, I tailgate with a group called The Den. It's an open tailgate. Uh, you don't have to bring anything, everything, beer. There's a trailer with the television on it. Uh, everything is there for you. You just show up. More than a fair share of posing fans come in and, and tailgate with us. So all are welcome at The Den. Uh, you can go to the thedenuc.com to, to look up more info on that. Uh, we will have Cincy Light, our NIL beer, which is – Advertised directly behind me here. Uh, we'll have a keg or two of that. Uh, we, we will have breakfast bowls from this place called Cedar uh, in Covington, Kentucky. We have a DJ, Mike Wazowski, who makes it a dance party or, you know, with the vibes or uh, he, he keeps the vibes immaculate. Uh, and it's just a, it's $5 for a game day pass. So all that, uh, all that info is on thedenuc.com.
2: So, Brandon, first question for me when you look at this Cincinnati uh, roster, let's start on the offensive side of the football. Who's one name outside of the quarterback, outside of the star receiver or the running back, who's one name that if you look up on Saturday, late in the fourth quarter, Cincinnati, you know, has a chance to win this football game. What's a guy that's kind of flying under the radar that could be the difference, could be the reason why Cincinnati is in this game?
1: A lot of uh, Bearcats fans like to uh, proclaim us as tight end you. Sort of, you know, of course, Travis Kelsey in the league doing doing great things. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to kind of, follow follow that and say uh our tight end Peyton Singletary. Mm-hmm. He has uh been the biggest red zone threat for the Bearcats so far this year for some reason and we can sort record a whole other podcast on why he didn't get any looks this past week against Miami, Ohio. I don't know. <laughs> but he, he's certainly effective in the first couple of weeks in, in the red zone uh, at tight end. So I, I really like number 88, Peyton Singletary, <laughs> to uh, to harp on this last week, our, our loss to Miami, Ohio again. We made uh, seven trips to the red zone. Uh, pretty much we had, uh, we had 10 possessions throughout the game. 11, but if you count the possession right before Halftime, we'll exclude that. So out of 10 possessions, we went to the red zone seven times, and we scored touchdown two of those. Uh, so we could have definitely looked at uh, Peyton Singletary a little bit more, uh, but I think he's a, a guy you got to watch out for as a sneaky guy to, to come down with a touchdown catch if we're inside the 20. <clears throat>
0: You have a really small sample size on Emory Jones so far with just three games, but there is a really large sample size on on Jones from his overall college career. He's a guy that we saw in the 2020 Cotton Bowl uh, when he was playing for Florida, and we kind of thought, okay, this guy has something. And then he really didn't do anything over the next several years at Florida and Arizona State. So, you know, if, as it stands right now, his numbers are better through the non-conference slate than really anything he's done career-wise. But, like, how legit do you think he is as – a true threat or do you think he kind of is what he is
1: i i think his uh his last year at florida uh and then his his one year at arizona state they were not ideal situations as, as for the program I, there were coaches in in turmoil there uh coach uh for, was it hubie brown or no coach i don't whoever the coach was at arizona state he, he got fired uh and then with um satterfield his, I mean, his system really relies on a mobile quarterback like Emory Jones. So, I mean, he went out and got it, got uh, Jones to sign here, who took over the starting spot for it for Ben Bryant, who was here, uh, what started all for us last year, and then now uh, the starting quarterback at North uh, Northwestern. So, I mean, Satterfield went and got this guy. He, he thought that, uh you know, he fit his system, and I think so far, he has. He, he's He's been uh, he was a question mark, I thought, coming into the season. And then I think he, he's answered a lot of those. He's looked really good at times uh, this past Saturday. I would say some of his decision making, especially in the red zone, was highly questionable, could have been way better. And that's sort of a a red flag, I think, for a guy who has played as much college football as he has. I would certainly like to see some better decision making. Athletic prowess and, and football capabilities, I think, are as good as anyone i think he's he's got a lot of the tangibles that you see and i didn't really have any questions about him until this past saturday so uh we'll see if uh those can't get rectified Mm. as the season goes on
2: yeah brandon last one for me um let's flip it over to the other side of the football when cincinnati's on defense defensive coordinator brian brown if you're trying to put a game plan together to slow down this oklahoma offensive attack yes we know we know about corleone we know about you know how good of a front seven you guys have but what do you think schematic wise? What do you try to do if you're Cincinnati to put yourself in a position where you can you can keep Oklahoma's offense at bay? Whether it's you know extending drives on offense, trying to keep play the play away or the keep away game from Oklahoma. What do you try to do if you're Cincinnati to slow down OU?
1: I mean, we we have been pretty effective milking the clock and, and controlling the time of possession. I think we've we've done that uh, pretty well so far this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not letting our our safety or, uh, or Justin Harris, guard your best uh, wideout. I know that. Um, he's certainly been um, suspect throughout the past two weeks against Pitt. Uh, I think he had three pass interferences, he had, he had four pass breakups as well. Um, So sort of a roller coaster game for him there. But then the first play against Miami, Ohio, he gets cooked for a 79-yard touchdown. So um, I'm making sure that he's not on an island. So Dylan Gabriel comes out with 500 passing yards this game uh, (laughs) because that seemed to be what uh, Miami's plan was to sort of attack Harris uh, as much as possible. So I'm certainly trying to make sure that doesn't happen this week.
0: I I know it's coming off a loss, so I'm sure uh, fans are a little bit down on Scott Satterfield. When, from, just from an outsider perspective, when I saw that hire, I was kind of scratching my head a little bit. I was like, hmm, that's an odd one. Like Louisville fans didn't really like him all that much by the time uh, he left town, and he didn't really raise that program stealing too much. I thought, well, Cincinnati, you know, they won nine games last year. Like, they're, no, they're no slouch. They're, they're raising their profile. They're coming to the Big 12. I thought, man, they, they could have done probably a little bit better. Um, what, what's the mood on the fan base through his first three games?
1: This is a, a challenging question coming off of the Miami-Ohio loss, right? Uh, we had not lost to them since George W. Bush was president. Uh, since I was a sophomore in high school, we, we had not lost to them. Uh, so the fan base is – uh, they got their pitchforks in hand – they're not marching down to Nippert yet, but they have, they have located them since we put them away, went, since Tommy Tupperville was here. Uh, they have sort, definitely started to sharpen, sharpen the, the ends of them again. But you know, as, as far as him being a, a questionable hire, there were plenty of people, myself included, that wanted no part of uh, Mr. Ohio State Luke Fickle coming down and taking over our program. Right. He he had a the Ohio State's only losing season uh, in the past, I don't know, like 40 years or something when when he took over as coach there. And there were plenty of people who who doubted him. It was now he comes here, takes the program to new heights, college football playoff and everything. And then you have Satterfield and it's a wait and see game. Uh, And, you know, um, vibes were high after the pit win. And they quickly came right back down after the Miami loss. So I I still think it's, it's a, apparently he was, he was the second choice after Fickle, the, when we hired Luke Fickle. So he was right there in in the finals. You know, who are we going to pick? Is it going to be Satterfield or or Fickle? Uh, that round of, of coaching, uh, carousel or, or whatever you want to call it. So, uh, I'm not going to, you know, uh, run the man out of town yet there's still plenty of football to be had here Luke Fickle was four and eight his first year here plenty of you know it's year one in in the big 12 Uh, we have 26 new guys on the roster from, from last year after the NFL draft and uh you know people hitting the portal so since the summer we said if we can get to six and six in a bowl game year one we would be happy with that um we just didn't expect to lose to Miami Ohio on the way
2: well, that kind of ties in. I've got two more questions here for you. One serious one, one kind of silly off the cuff. Uh, you do look at the rest of your schedule, Brandon, and obviously it starts with Oklahoma this weekend. You've got the road trip out to Provo to take on BYU. And then during the month of October, what we thought was going to be a pretty, pretty daunting stretch for the Bearcats, you've got Iowa State, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. We could do an entire episode uh, on what is the debacle going on in Stillwater, Oklahoma right now. But then you close out the year with UCF at Houston, at West Virginia, in Kansas, so you're sitting here two and one. Is the expectation still six to seven wins, or do you think that Cincinnati has all the ingredients uh, to make this maybe an eight or nine win type season?
1: They have the ingredients, sure. Especially if there are, are teams in the Big Twelve that follow their, you know, current uh, projections or, or or whatever their trajectory. I guess is what I, the word I was looking for there. Uh, I'd still be more than happy with six and six. I think. Miami, Ohio came, it was basically a coin flip game, right? It was, it was overtime. Uh, They blocked a field goal at the, at the gun uh, to send it to overtime. Uh, If, if that doesn't happen, you know, it's a, a game over. I expect us to play in more of those tight games where it's coming down to a last-second field goal. Maybe it comes down to the, you know, the weird overtime rules in, in college, uh, and it comes down to, to a single play. I think we are we're not done seeing those type of games, and hopefully you know, the Bearcats come out on the right side of those more often than not uh, as we play some teams who are not necessarily living up to expectations so far.
2: Last one for me, Brandon. I'll throw it back over to Adam. Brandon, you've got a place to bet this upcoming weekend. Which do you feel more confident in? Oklahoma minus 14 and a half or Oregon minus 21 and a half against Colorado? <laughs> uh,
1: I don't, I, I've not seen anything yet to bet against Dion. Um I think he's full of surprises. Uh, I, I'd probably say, uh, honestly, it, it would probably be more confident in, in the Oklahoma line right now.
0: And that's kind of where I was going for my, my final question is just uh, give us a score prediction for what you think will happen and I guess just expectations for uh, the game on Saturday.
1: Honestly, I would say from what I saw last year to this year, I would say Oklahoma has improved much more rapidly than I would have thought that they would have, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I, I forget exactly what it was, but Oklahoma was like one twenty. I don't know. They were in the one hundreds of overall At defense. The yeah. <laughs> so, so that 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 has been great here. I um, what I would I would love to keep it close. I, I would love to see a. You know, I think I think both teams are more than capable of scoring points. I'm going to say that the uh, the the seven road trips to the red zone and scoring two touchdowns was a fluke. This uh, this past week, um, I, I think it'd be um, I don't know. We'll go 33-40.
0: higher scoring than I, I probably would go. I, I,
1: I, I'm, yeah. I, I say after this weekend, I say Oklahoma will will definitely. I would definitely, if I was going to bet, I, I would I would take that, uh, that Oklahoma money line, uh, but I think there'll be some points scored. So I I don't know what the uh, the under over is, but uh, I would certainly maybe favor the the over there as well.
0: Do you want to give some shout outs to uh, where listeners can find your content?
1: Yeah, um, so it's the the podcast or is go the Go Beer cats podcast streaming anywhere you can you can possibly find podcasts and on YouTube as well. Social media, all across all social media is Go Beer Cats. Uh, and I'm a part of a larger umbrella of uh, Cincinnati fans called the Cats Keller Social Club. The Cats Keller is a, is a bar on campus, and we sort of uh, took our name from that. It's a bar that you can actually go into during games. It's 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 in TUC. Uh, there's some signage there if if you're coming to Nippert on, on Saturday, Saturday. Um, we have, a, we have a Discord, the Catskiller Social Club Discord. You can find a lot of uh, Bearcats talk there. So it's uh, go Bearcats everywhere and the Catskiller Social Club on, on Twitter and uh, Discord as well.
0: Well, thanks, Brandon, for joining us this week. We greatly appreciate the insights on Cincinnati. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the national scene of college football we had, you know, obviously the sleepy week that is always sleepy before it happens and still is incredibly entertaining and now this week we've got lots of heavyweight matchups. Mm-hmm. I think overall for me just the theme right now and how this kind of affects OU is that you look around the country and I said this 2 weeks ago and I still I still don't think OU is a a playoff team. I think they could get there just cuz the Big 12 is weak, but sure. I don't think OU is a team that you know, gets in the playoff and wins a playoff game. Anything could happen. TCU did last year, maybe you get the right matchup or something. But I just look at that and I go, <laughs> man, like Ohio State, I think they're still really good. I don't think they're the same type of Ohio State team. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I think Georgia maybe has some vulnerabilities. Obviously Alabama does. So you just look at that and go, man, <laughs> like if OU could just continue to improve, continue yeah. to show that, hey, they're a lot different than they were last year. Like Sure, yeah, it's wide open. There's opportunity for you.
2: Well, and I think across the country, when you look at it, you know from from east coast to west. I don't think that there's one team right now. And again, we're going to get you got to give Georgia credit until somebody knocks them off. I mean, they're the clear number one on top of the mountain. They kind of slept walk through the first through the first half of the game against South Carolina Kirby Smart gets after him in the locker room and they come out in the second half and absolutely and absolutely suffocate Shane Beamer's team outscoring them 21-0 to take the win but I don't think that there's two, I don't think that there's one team that's just clear and above better than everybody else but I think that there's quite a few teams that are better than what people expected, and it's created a lot of parity. You're going to get a lot more uh, you know, competitive football games, maybe even from a couple of teams that we didn't expect going into the season that were going to be as good as they are. You talk about a, a team out in Washington with Michael Penix Jr., what he's doing right now. There might not be a more impressive team in college football right now uh, over the course of a consistent three-week period than the Huskies. Uh, Notre Dame's got a huge opportunity this upcoming week with Ohio State coming to South Bend. Uh, and then you look around Ole Miss going uh, up to Tuscaloosa. Can they, you know, we, th- we think that Nick Saban's going to get it figured out. They've got Milrow starting at quarterback again. They made some changes uh, play calling-wise on the defensive side of the football. That's a big opportunity for Lane Kiffin. And then, Adam, if you want to look at things locally here, I mean, what the hell's going on in Stillwater right now? I mean, it could happen to a better fan base, a better program. Mike Gundy kind of feels like the balloon's getting ready to pop. I think that the fan base really, if you look at it, uh, if you look at it, you know, uh, down close, I think that the fan base is kind of getting sick and tired of Mike Gundy. And if he, if they can't get themselves out of this hole that they've dug, if they can't at least find a quarterback to settle on, I mean, you lose, you get your ass beat 33 to seven by South Alabama and you still got a big 12 schedule. Uh, coming up with a trip <laughs> with the games against Oklahoma and a few others. I just don't know what's going on in Stillwater right now. I'm, I'm happy seeing it, and I can't wait for Bedlam here towards the end of the year because that's, you know, it looks like that's going to be a, a fun day for Oklahoma fans. But there's a lot of parody going on right now in college football. Things are a lot more competitive than they used to be. And looking at the slate this upcoming weekend, Oh my God! I'm not sure if, if I've seen a, if I've seen a slate like this all the way from the early kickoff all the way to the nightcap that's got so many good top 25 matchups across the board. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch.
0: Yeah, and of course the sickos will love that Iowa State Oklahoma State game. <laughs> like, that's going to is be the over a, under, a great game for yeah over under. I, I think under, it's 36 and a half. Thir- something I saw like it that. at
2: 35 and a half today. 35? Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, it might be that. First yeah, one to that's going to be a
0: great game for for all the wrong reasons, of oh course. My God. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, with Oklahoma State, like you play three quarterbacks three straight weeks in a row, and you don't learn anything really at all uh, throughout those three weeks. It's it's kind of crazy. And I, I ask my uh, one of my good buddies, who's an OSU fan all the time, I'm like, hey, when Mike Gundy retires, or <laughs> at this point he's probably close to being fired, mm-hmm. but like, who do you go get? And he's like, I have no idea, really. Like, there's no one in gundy's coaching tree i think osu fans will point to zach robinson the quarterbacks coach out at the uh, rams but i don't know the guys in the nfl probably are gonna less and less likely come down to the college level based on what's going on in the college game right now it's just it's a different beast well but
2: oklahoma state is to me especially with oklahoma and texas leaving the big 12 conference with all the success that my gundy's had there over the last 20 years except against playing uh, except against playing oklahoma you would think that Oklahoma state would be poised to kind of take the baton and run with it, uh, to kind of be one of the, you know, the alpha dogs in this conference moving forward in 2024. But I just don't, I, I don't know. Again, it's a little bit of personnel. Some of it's coaching, but Mike Gundy has got to figure out a way to push the right buttons because you look at the way that this team's played over the course of the first three weeks of the season. You're, it's going to be hard pressed for me to see this team winning more than six games.
0: Yeah. I I don't know that Mike Gundy wants to push the right buttons, but even if he like settles on a quarterback, none of them have shown the ability to really make too many uh-huh. plays. Gunner Gundy honestly has been the best, but man, that, <laughs> as Tyler shakes his fingers, uh, <laughs> like last year's game against K state. Yeah. That, that team just, they, I, I, we talked about all off season. Like that's kind of dangerous. It feels like a Mike Gundy team. Like he's going to coach him up so on and so forth. And total opposite it's been exactly and probably worse than what most people were predicting so far and they only have one loss which is kind of crazy they played a terrible arizona state team they barely scraped by against central arkansas and south alabama who i was talking a a lot of hype up at the beginning of the year and i kind of i backed off that a little bit when they lost to tulane but man they they proved themselves there in Stillwater. so
2: obviously our main focus is going to be up in cincinnati this weekend watching the sooners and the bearcats adam but i just talked about the slate that we've got on tap for Saturday. I mean, you've got Ole Miss, Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Clemson, Florida State. So many good games. Auburn, Alabama, or excuse me, Auburn, Texas A and M. Where, if you if you're not going to be watching OU Cincinnati, what's the second best game that you're looking forward to, to uh, uh, gaining a little bit of access to on Saturday?
0: I think SMU and TCU has got some interest there. We want to definitely find out how good both of those teams are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right now, SMU is our best win. Could be, we talked about this with Brandon uh, on their podcast a little bit. It's like SMU could potentially be the second best team we play all year. I, I don't think they will be, but uh, there's certainly a possibility there. I'm, I'm scrolling through the, uh, the schedule as we speak here. Uh, I think there's some really good, there's some, there's almost every week is going to be full of great PAC 12 matchups. Yes. Oregon state and Washington state, UCLA and Utah. I, I won't spoil it for our bet segment there, but there's <laughs> there's ranked matchups all over the place in the Pac-12 because I think like seven or eight teams are ranked out there. Uh, it's so real shame that the conference is, is closing down at the end of the year, but um, hey, they're going out uh, the right way in the Pac-12, I guess. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Should we get to the betting segment? Let's do bets. Yeah, we're tied after three weeks, oh, seven and dismal. eight, uh, just under five hundred. Uh, I've got a bone to pick with Brian Ferentz for going for it on fourth and goal with 30 seconds left up 24 points to cover the spread there just so he can get his 25 point average uh, he's going five wide with a minute left with his backup quarterback come on man uh, but uh, hopefully that doesn't happen to me this week so we're, we're tied I'll kick us off here first though. I'm going to go with uh, James Madison, traveling on the road again at Utah State. They are six-and-a-half-point favorites. I think they'll be able to cover that. They've got such a stout defense, one of the best teams in the group of five. Second-best team in Virginia behind uh, Liberty Flames, I'll say, though. Very nice. Pick number one for me. I'm going out to the Pac-12 country. Oregon State going on the road to to take on
2: Washington State. Oregon State is currently a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I like D.J. Uyunglele, that Beavers defense. I think that they go into Pullman uh, and take care of Washington State. They cover the
0: two-and-a-half. I'm going bold this week. I'm going to take Notre Dame plus a three versus Ohio state home field, better quarterback, more experienced quarterback. I think this is Notre Dame's time. I I think Ohio state's really good still, but better quarterback in college wins more often than not. I like it. I like it. Be a,
2: a big time win that launches, you know, probably Sam Hartman, you know, if he plays up to what it's going to take to beat Ohio state, that launches him right to the top of the Heisman conversation. Pick number two for me, I'm going out to the. I'm staying in the Pac-12. Colorado traveling up to Eugene to take on Oregon. I know that there's been so much hype; it's almost being forced down our throats from ESPN, from Fox, all the networks. It's Dion, 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 and again, you love to see it. I mean, it's great for the fans of Colorado. They haven't been relevant, in, uh, you know, in college football in quite some time. So, you know, good for that fan base. But no, Travis Hunter this weekend. The the biggest. Weak link on that football team for Colorado is the offense and defensive line, and you're going to be going into Eugene against a Dan Lanning type defense who's got something to prove. We we all know about the uh, the back and forth in the offseason. Uh, Dan Lanning kind of firing some shots at Dion, talking about well, you know, really Colorado, what have they done to justify having a seat at the table? So I think that Oregon's going to jump on them early and often here. I'm going to take Oregon minus 11 and a half first half, and I think that Oregon pops the balloon. Uh, sitting over Boulder right now.
0: little side note on on Dion. I think I've kind of circled around the reason why so many people hate him. It's because he's bigger than the program. And that's the antithesis to what Bob Stoops said when he sure. left, was that sure. no one's bigger than the program. And Dion has made himself that way. Now, Colorado is a different animal than Oklahoma, but mm-hmm. as college football fans, we are, we are fans of the program. Mm-hmm. We love Baker, but we love Oklahoma first uh, sure. and so forth across every program. And so – Dion's made it made himself the star of that show Mm -hmm. rightfully or wrongfully, however you view that it's an entertainment aspect there. But it's frustrating for us when we see all these national media talking heads that never pay attention to college football suddenly start, you know, commenting uh, celebrities that couldn't tell you who Colorado State is, where they are or anything like that, you know, who who they are just showing up to that game. Uh, it, it's like, man, that's just that's not
1: college football. Well, um, and that
2: and that's the craziest part about it is it, it's it kind of feels like it's becoming less about the football, less about the football program, and it's more about Dion and, and his two kids and Travis Hunter and what they're doing, how flashy it is. You know, you you've got Little Wayne walking the team out, rapping. You've got the Rock showing up on campus. Yeah. You know, Stephen A. Uh, Shannon Sharp, uh, Michael Irving. I mean, it, it just feels like it's it's all about the entertainment and the spectacle around the football game and less about what's being played in between the lines. And again, not to take anything away from them. Like I said, they're playing great. F- future wife is, is full of CU fans, uh, CU alums. So again, it, it's a lot of fun to see. I've, I've watched more Colorado football in the last three weeks than I have in probably my entire 29 years on this planet, and rightfully so. It's gonna. It's, but I think that this is the week where you start to see there's levels to this game in college football. And yes, Colorado has been a fun story. But I think that Oregon's going to wax him on Saturday. And then, oh, by the way, you get to follow that up by playing Caleb Williams, the Heisman Trophy winner, who's probably going to hang 60 on your ass in Boulder uh, at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. when when that game kicks (laughs) off here in two weeks. But yeah, give me Oregon minus 11.5 first half against the Buffs.
0: Let the record show future wife was mentioned. All right, uh, (laughs) let's go to my pick number three here. I'm going to go UNC minus 7.5 at Pitt. Uh, we talked a little bit about yeah. uh, Phil Jerkovic, just not the same. I don't think this pit team is is going to be high powered enough. And UNC just faced a team very similar, very physical, very defense oriented team, and they ran away with it against Minnesota. So, uh, give me the Tar Heels here to cover.
2: I had that on my card as well, but I'm going to leave it off. Let's have a little bit of a uh, little little bit of a change between the two of us. Let's see if we can make up some ground on Adam. Uh, pick number three for me. I'm going to be bold with this take as well. I'm going to go down to ACC country, the two powerhouses in that conference. Florida State traveling to Clemson, South Carolina to take on Dabo and the Tigers. Florida State favored by two and a half right now. If this game was played on a neutral field, that line would be a little bit closer to six. So I know that Florida State struggled a week ago against Boston College. I know that Clemson has looked a little bit better over the last couple of weeks, but again, Florida State, I think that they they've had this game circled on the schedule since the offseason began. I think they go into Clemson and cover that two and a half number.
0: I like that boldness. I'm going to go with USC at Arizona State over 61 and a half. This number feels way too low because even if USC pitches a shutout, I still think the Trojans put up 56 points uh, on the Sun Devils. So Uh, I don't think that they're going to shut out Arizona State. I know they've had some turnover troubles. They haven't had very much success at all at quarterback, but Mm -hmm. I think this one easily gets over 61 and a half.
2: I've got that same uh, game on my card, but a little bit different bet here. USC favored by 19 and a half first line or first half line here. Uh, There's a little bit of drama between these two programs going back to a year ago. Everybody remembers Caleb Williams going into the Arizona State sideline. The defensive linemen squirting the water bottle onto him. The trash talk going back and forth. I think that USC's got a little bit to prove here they're coming off of a bye week Lincoln Riley yes I know you know giving credit where credit's due very good offensively putting a game plan together coming off of a bye week I think they jump on the Sun Devils early and I think the USC puts this thing out of reach at halftime so give me the Trojans minus 19 and a half first half
0: my number five sticking in the pack 12 I'm going UCLA plus four and a half at Utah the Utes have some impressive wins with Baylor and Florida but they got outgained versus Florida and they really should have lost to Baylor. And even against their FCS opponent in Weber State, not looking too great. The advanced stats don't love Utah, really. We still aren't sure if Cam Rising is going to play in this one. And I know it's a little bit risky going with UCLA and maybe some unproven quarterback play and Dante mm-hmm. Moore, but I just I like the way that they've played a little bit better. I think it's a little bit cleaner. Uh, so I've got UCLA not just to cover the four and a half, but to win outright.
2: I like it. I like it. I've got three picks left here to, to kind of round out my fifth. Uh, What direction do I want to go? I've got two Big 12 games, one SEC matchup. I think I'm going to go with the the two teams that are going to be able to score the most points on Saturday. Going to the Big 12, going up to Lawrence, Kansas, BYU, coming off of a fantastic surprise win against Arkansas State up in Fayetteville. Over under on this matchup, set at 55.5. I like Jalen Daniels. They're putting up a ton of points up there at KU. I think that this is going to be a shootout, and I expect this one to go
0: over the 55.5 number. Let's do score predictions for OU Cincinnati. I've kind of gone back and forth on this one, but initially I thought, yeah, it's probably a one possession game. It's I think OU is able to pull it out, but it's going to be dicey. Uh, I'm I'm putting on the crimson colored glasses a little bit though here. I, I think it's going to be a little bit more. I'm going to go OU 38, Cincinnati 27. I, it's It's like any game. It doesn't matter that they lost to Miami last week. It doesn't matter. Cincinnati was over for the year. They're going to play their best game out of their minds against this OU program. And it's easy to forget that this team won nine games last year still without all of the guys that took them to the playoffs. So this is a good program. They've got good players. I'm just not a believer in Emory Jones. I don't think he's able to do that. And I think OU is a different team this year than they were a year ago. So I think they start to prove that and start to get some national attention with a uh, Nice 11-point win there, but I think there will be some bumps along the way.
2: Absolutely, and this is the position that we, like all OU fans, found ourselves in a year ago. We were coming off of a Week 3 performance where we were undefeated. We went up to Lincoln, Nebraska. We beat them by five touchdowns. People are excited. They see the vision. They think that this team has an opportunity where we're talking college football playoff, and then you lose three in a row, six of your last nine, and ultimately what was, you know, the most most disappointing year of OU football since, you know, 1999 – I think that this is a matchup where if Oklahoma is the team that we think that they are, and if they've made that next step, they're buying into what Brent Venables is teaching, I think that they go up to Cincinnati on Saturday in front of that ruckus crowd, big new kickoff. I think they go into Nipper Stadium and they make a statement on Saturday. Not saying it's going to be a Tulsa or an Arkansas State-like type performance, but I think they go in there and they dominate, and they're going to win this game 45-24 to in what's going to be the fourth consecutive cover
0: for the Sooners. That would be amazing. Well, thanks everyone for listening to our podcast. We will be right back here next week for another episode of the Mainline Podcast.
1: Boomer!